welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode number nine, recorded on February 5th, 2019. Title, Red Hat Drops Support for the Cloud Pod. Welcome to the Cloud Pod. It's a lovely evening, and we are here drinking and going over the news for the week. I have uh, somewhat of a glass of Jim Beam left. Mostly mostly gone, though. <laughs> uh, I discussed Crown Royale this morning at work, and so then that became the drink of choice this evening. Ah, so. yes. I like Crown. And then uh, how about you, Peter? Oh, that's right. Peter's uh, unfortunately not with us today, but we, we brought in a fantastic substitute, Ryan Lucas. How about you introduce yourself real quick, Ryan? How's it going? I'm drinking a, a Jameson's triple distilled Irish whiskey because I only go for the fanciest of drinks. Wow, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> sounds very dangerous. I, you haven't listened to the show often. It's normally more tame than that. <laughs> it's just Jameson. You just read the fine print. They're all, it's all triple distilled. Fair enough. All right. Well, we have a lot of news this week, and we will get started. So a quick follow-up. Uh, last time we talked about Microsoft's earnings, as we had just gotten them announced before we recorded the podcast. It did recover the next day and has been typical up and downs with the market. So um, while Azure business was supposedly slowing, it definitely did not have a huge impact on the stock, um, as we expected when we talked about last week. Uh, since then, we've had more earnings. It's earnings season. And uh, Amazon announced their earnings, $7.43 billion in cloud revenue, up from $5.11 billion a year ago, which is a very large increase. Uh, accounted for 58% of the overall Amazon revenue in the quarter. Uh, but margin was down a little bit from 31% to 29%. And analysts said, with substantial upside potential for AWS, strong track record, we think we can safely assume significant ongoing revenue growth for the foreseeable future. Fantastic news out of the Amazon front. Great Christmas season for them. Yeah, they bought a lot of people recently. I'm kind of wondering if that 2% is uh, all their acquisitions. Uh, I mean, those acquisitions mostly were announced in January. Maybe they have not closed yet. So I'd expect to see them impact their numbers in Q1. At reInvent is also in Q4. So those costs uh, do come into their margin. So if they didn't break even uh, on reInvent this year, because Skrillex was pretty expensive, uh, that might be part of it too. Yeah, well, they skimmed out on the coffee this year, so they must have saved some money there. <laughs> Ryan's got nothing. <laughs> nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> what does Tumbleweed sound like as it rolls through the podcast? <laughs> I think that. That's what that was. That was. <laughs> was I at reinvent? Because I don't really remember it all that well for some reason. There was copious amounts of alcohol, and then, as we talked about in our uh, recap show, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right, well, moving right along to uh, Google, or as I like to be called now, Alphabet, uh, they beat their earnings forecast. They do not break out their cloud spend because, or cloud revenue, because it's uh, apparently too small to brag about yet. Uh, but they did say it was growing. It is part of the other revenue category of their earnings, uh, which did increase uh, 31% to $6.49 billion. So you have a little bit of idea of what the spend increase was, but that also includes smartphones and smart speakers and Google Play apps. And of course, Q4 is Christmas. And I bet a lot of people got some Android phones under the tree. Good quarter for them as well. And moving on from earnings, <laughs> Google Cloud Firestore NoSQL database hits GA. This is a serverless NoSQL document database, uh, mobile-focused or IoT, uh, which is interesting because you can actually run this database offline on your mobile device or in the cloud. 
Uh, it is single region database uh, available or multi-region database now. And they provide 99.9% for a single region and 99.99% availability for multi-region. And it is available in several different regions. Uh, so my first comment on this is Amazon, take note. This is a SLA on launch of a product. Not only that, but that they supported multiple regions in the first release and then single regions for GA. That's like completely backwards. <laughs> yeah, only multiple regions in the first release. What a great narrative. So, you know, look at the cost savings. Like you now can run it in, you know, where it'll, it'll go down more often. <laughs> Maybe they just wanted to collect a bunch of data. You know, maybe they needed people to, to do the testing for the multi-region for them, which is why they they, they uh, enforce it to begin with. Yeah, I imagine it's part of their you know global cloud spanner database technology story that they they wanted to uh, show that they could do something in multi-region because of their uh, prior announcements around databases have been a little bit weak. Uh, but I don't. They did not present a SLA for the phone. I guess they don't expect my phone to be multi-region aware. Or you have on my phone. That's, I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah, I mean, one nine availability on my phone is probably the best I can hope for. I like the technology that you can run locally and in the cloud, especially on mobile devices. It uh, makes it great for app developers. Well, it's a nice alternative to um, you know the te- the databases you run on the phone, which are normally not document databases. So it's a it's a nice nice product. Uh, this one looks cool. Mm, I guess it's a, a kind of the the NoSQL competitor to SQLite. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, outages. And we, we've debated bringing an outage of the week section into the cloud pod here, but it's a lot of uh, SRE sympathy we have to dish out then. So we'll only save it for the big ones. But uh, this is a big one. DNS outage resulted in Azure database outages and data loss. Uh, so on January 29th, Azure database service lost database records due to a DNS and automation error, apparently uh, their DNS provider, who was apparently level three, had an outage of some sort due to software defect. Automation was not able to reach the Microsoft Keys Vault, where the you know the, the TDE keys are stored, and so that uh, triggered some automation that basically deleted the database. Yeah, quotes software defect, uh, close quotes. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously, who who writes any automation that just deletes databases? I thought this was a genius idea. As one who likes to clean environments, like fairly aggressively i was like yeah no if i can't reach those keys nuke it i probably don't need that data anyway but yeah maybe some safety checks are warranted maybe yeah maybe maybe more than the five or ten minute uh warning before they go ahead and do that but it's cool that they had they were taking snapshots of this every five minutes in the background yeah that was my favorite part was the the ability to restore as quickly as they did only losing five minutes of transactions i like how they they talked about it had to be manually addressed which meant was probably lost. Uh, it was is well done wording in the uh, <laughs> the articles about this topic. Uh, it's interesting to me too that you are building a cloud service that you want your customers to use, um, and your primary DNS is not yourselves. Your primary DNS is a third party who you don't control and who's had numerous DNS issues in the last uh, two or three months. Uh, maybe not the best plan. They're not the uh, the go-to people for modern technology. Well, that's that's a commentary on Microsoft in general, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. Well, that really hasn't been well-respected for a while. Or older, level three. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, well, hopefully SRE people at Microsoft have gotten some sleep after that uh, mistake. And some automation has been updated because uh, that's not an outage they want to repeat anytime soon. Speaking of DevOps... When I think of DevOps in the cloud, I think of Foghorn Consulting. Foghorn has been around since 2008. 
They've been on the forefront of cloud enablement and have delivered powerful transformations for hundreds of clients from startups to Fortune 500, including highly regulated industries. They were early visionaries and practitioners of using code to automate infrastructure and operations to drive up cloud efficiencies while driving down costs. Terraform, Ansible, Jenkins, AWS, Asia, and GCP. Go to fogups.io slash thecloudpod to learn more about their FogUp services and sign up for a free, well-architected framework review. Next uh, up, Microsoft has launched AMD-based uh, Azure instances. They now have several instances that provide up to 80 virtual CPU configurations. They are targeted for high-volume I.O. workloads, particularly for analytics and databases. Uh, and they do come with 19 terabytes of flash storage if you want that many. Uh, they either come in two configurations, uh, 32 cores from 2 gigahertz to 2.55 gigahertz or 3 gigahertz for a single core uh, for your single threaded applications. Cost-wise, it's a little bit cheaper than an Intel-based Windows server. Uh, My calculations were $796 for Intel for the same configuration, $724 for this AMD. So you save about 72 bucks. Do you think performance for IO is the real driver for this or do you think they're just diversifying? Uh, Amazon did the same thing uh, recently. Do you think they're just diversifying to um, to protect themselves from the next zero day, you know, CPU bug? That's an interesting theory. I hadn't thought of that. You know, I was thinking it was more of a way, way to get pricing pressure on Intel and to also mitigate risk of the fact that Intel's roadmap has been atrocious for the last few years. And so if these epic processors from AMD are providing the same level of throughput and capacity or maybe even better throughput, uh, for slightly less money, it seems like a good play for the cloud providers who are trying to squeeze every dollar out of their margin into the customer base. So that's it's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, you know, AMD had some problems in that, some of those issues last year too. Not as much as Intel, but uh, definitely does mitigate some risk. Yeah. The other fun news around AMD processors was uh, Oracle basically came out and said, you know, their AMD processors perform 30% better at three times better price to performance ratios. Uh, than Amazon's. <laughs> and so this was a comparison between what Oracle calls their EPYC BM.E2.64 versus Amazon's M5A and R5A 24X large. And when you look at the specs of these things, uh, you know, it's either two <laughs> EPYC Epic 7000 24 core per socket at 2.5 gigahertz versus Oracle's 32 cores per socket times two. Uh, at two gigahertz <laughs> yeah. with with way more rem- memory and a little bit faster networking speed so it's a little crazy that's 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 fine let me let me fix, let's fix that for your oracle your cpus that have 50 percent more cores perform <laughs> as expected better than the than the cpus that don't that's that's you know slow hand clap for oracle if you're not cheating you're not trying i i, I applaud them for their tenacity in this comparison but what about the cost though i mean i, I actually haven't looked at the cost I don't know how transparent the cost is of the Oracle Cloud. The article mentions uh, like significant cost savings. Like, is it really significant cost savings, or are they just hiding some of those things in the uh, in the details? Well, I mean, as typical Oracle pricing, you know, is it's probably buried in a web page on a PDF somewhere that I don't know where it's at, and so I I have not gone onto their pricing website because I can never find anything. But um, I'm sure there's a calculator. I just I don't know where it's at. Yeah, like if it's Oracle and you only want a two core VM, do they still charge you for the whole 32 cores? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I assume that if you want access to the pricing calculator, you probably have to pay them for that access. <laughs> the, the license, you can get access. They're just going to audit you later. Right. You know, you looked at the price list, so clearly you must have spun up something that they're not billing you for yet. 
I'm glad everyone's getting this AMD thing. I, I think it's nice, you know, competitive landscape situation. Um, maybe they can work on comparing apples to apples uh, and actually have good comparisons between the vendors. But, uh, you know, I, I think you're right, Jonathan, in some ways it's a, it's a mitigate the risk. And I think I'm also right in that it's, it's a pricing maneuver against Intel and, uh, you know, if AMD keeps innovating and Intel keeps struggling to get to, you know, 18 nanometers and the different uh, die sizes, that this is a, a good option for these guys. Yeah, AMD had a win recently. They're allowed now to, uh, to was it like the 14 nanometer tech that they can now build without having to pay royalties? I've been watching the AMD stock for a little while. Well, how much of their stock is impacted by GPUs and the Bitcoin mining craze of you know, the last few years versus actual AMD processor movement. So I, I, mean, I think this is nice. These epic chips are coming, you know, up to snuff with Intel, Xeon stuff. Um, at this point in time, especially with the graphics market kind of dying off and Bitcoin losing favor. But um, you know, how much of their revenues are tied to compute versus graphics? And that's always been a question mark. At least AMD have regular CPUs going for them, whereas Nvidia don't. So Amazon Coretto 8 is now GA, and this is a topic we would definitely have talked about uh, pre-invent, but uh, we didn't have a podcast yet. So um, Amazon, before reInvent started, basically announced that they were going to come out with their own version of Java JDK, uh, their own open JDK distribution, really, uh, called Coretto. And so this went into beta before reInvent. Um, it is no-cost, multi-platform, production-ready open JDK distribution. The GA supports uh, Java 8U202 compatibility, basically, uh, and supports Amazon Linux 2, RPM-based Linux flavors, Debian-based Linux, Windows 7 or later, and Mac OS OS 10.10 or later. So that's uh, pretty awesome. Super glad to see this get GA'd uh, relatively quickly after the beta started uh, before reInvent. This is really cool. I have like three or four different things to say about this. Like, firstly, it's a middle finger to Oracle. (laughs) Secondly, the way Oracle enforced... uh, or we will force people to do updates of, of the JDK or the, or even the runtime in production was just a nightmare. Like th- there's no uh, Linux repository for it. You had to literally go and download these artifacts manually and stick them someplace or write some hackish script that saved cookies so they could download the latest Java things. It's like this ultimate anti-pattern for regular updates. And, and to see Amazon uh, release something like this with the transparency that they have and the ease of updates that they have is fantastic. Thirdly, it's a middle finger to Oracle. Absolutely. And probably fourthly and fifthly as well. (laughs) (laughs) But what's with the name of Coretto? I don't know. Does that mean something? No, I wanted to research that. I didn't get that either. I thought it was an interesting thing. Makes me think of ice cream or something. I don't know. (laughs) Like a car, a Corvette. Cafe Coretto. Cafe Coretto. It's an Italian beverage. That's right. It's a shot of espresso with a small amount of liquor, usually grappa, and sometimes sambuca or brandy. So it's a a lovely, tasty drink we should try next week on the show. Yeah, fair enough. Cool. Uh, But also, they uh, also announced that there's an official Docker image for this, too. So you can now download this into your Docker container as uh, Amazon Coretto colon eight, or latest. And this will be what you'll end up getting on your machine. So if you're using Docker and you're looking for Java, this is a nice that is officially supported by Amazon and part of their their bundle of Coretto. Um, they have promised to provide releases and patches on this until June 2023, which I'm a little unsure why they've put an end date on this. Like they, they only want to give mid- the middle finger to Oracle for you know a few more years, and then they don't feel this is worthwhile, or they feel like Java's dying, and so they don't need to support it after 2023. Well, presumably they're going to support Java 11. Or Coretto 11 until uh, way later than that, but those builds aren't going to start until 
uh, April. So that wasn't clear to me when they say they're they're promising support until 2023. If that's to for eight, yeah. great. If it's for you know if eleven's longer than that, it's it's not clear to me in the announcement. But maybe that's what they meant to say and didn't say so. But uh, yeah, that's how I read it. Was more of like a trying to build confidence that we're this isn't something that we're just going to support for a short period of time and then sort of not look at anymore. We we have at least forecasted till this time, and then there'll probably be a new one that we have at that point. Yeah, and they basically have the guy who invented Java working for them right now, so you can assume that this is going to be fairly reliable and performant and uh, worth switching to. Yeah, I'm excited to see some benchmarks. Um, you know, now that it's GA, I expect to see a bunch more benchmarks coming online and being able to see what people are doing. And um, super excited. I think it's great. Yeah. Oracle's uh, going to be on the topic again, uh, unfortunately. So their uh, Oracle CISO wrote an opinion piece that they posted on the Oracle blog that I caught my attention. And uh, yeah, his, the, the title of it is Security in the Cloud, Are Audits and Certifications Really Enough? And he goes on to point out several different issues, confusion in the shared security model, points out that PCI compliant companies still get breached, uh, points out that you know your security cloud provider has to have a culture of security, which is just all three of these just scream of you know consultant speak. Um, and, and these are all things that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and the only, only positive I saw in this, which was I was really caught my attention on this article, is I was afraid he was saying that you know, the only way to get true security of a data center or cloud was to visit it. Uh, but at least he didn't advocate for that, which I've been super happy about Amazon really pushing back on data center visits as a, as a fun a form of auditing. Um, but overall, I thought this was a lot of FUD. <laughs> I clicked on that link and didn't really pay attention to who had written the article. And I, by the time we got to the end, I was thinking, God, I hope, I hope this guy doesn't ever end up in charge of like a security team or something, a place I work. And then I realized he's actually the, uh, the CSO. So, <laughs> <laughs> but how, how, how crazy. I mean, like, I, what do we need to do? Like we do need to certify company, you know, new certifications for companies to, to show that they uh, have good culture. And I, I don't know. It seems to be confusing it seems to be confusing the fact that a provider can be compliant with P- PCI and the applications that run on those those uh, platforms. Like I'm sure Amazon is compliant with PCI. However, you can run any kind of crap application you like and uh, and be non-compliant. So for, for him to point out that there's been breaches of, of uh, people who run in, in PCI-compliant environments, it's kind of nonsense, really. You know, he talked about the shared security model, and they were talking about how it was confusing. Uh, and they point to this uh, article, this cloud threat report, jointly authored by, of course, Oracle and KPMG, and you know how customers don't understand their role in the shared security model, and how they don't understand that, you know, the cloud provider isn't responsible for securing an S3 bucket, for example. Uh, and that's just kind of what you need to understand if you're moving to the cloud. So if you're if you're listening to the podcast and you don't understand the shared security model, I really strongly recommend you read um, several of the security blogs about it, several of the Amazon and Azure and uh, Google documents on the shared security model, because it's really fundamental to your entire security program. It's a key pillar of the entire security story of the cloud. Um, but yeah, it's just really weird. Points out culture of security of the cloud provider. I just, I don't, I don't know how I would ask that question. Like, you know, oh, do you not care about security? Which vendor is not going to tell you they care about security? And, uh, you know, having seen the CISO of Amazon talk, um, you can tell that he lives and breathes security every day and that that team has, you know, built the automation to be successful and, and win. And, uh, you know, how do you, but how do you really vet that? It's just weird. 
Well, and that's, I think that what's most impressive is that, you know, that approach to security is more than just your, your checks and your balances, and your meeting certification. It's, it is more of a culture that you're establishing and breeding that into everyone because it's not, not something that you can do as a central org if you're a security department. You're trying to breed that into the culture. You're trying to evangelize security practices. That's the best part. Ultimately, this is about liability. And if, if a cloud provider says they, they meet these, these particular requirements, then does the culture really matter when they're on the hook for those things either way? If you want confidence that they, you know, even though they haven't been breached, they're preventing breaches. And so, you know, yes, it's great that I have the ability to sue them when they lose my data or it gets compromised and something they did wrong. Um, but that doesn't prevent my customer from being really upset with me as a customer, you know, as their customer or their vendor um, from losing the data. And so while, you know, you can defer a lot of liability <laughs> to the cloud provider in some cases, it's not, it still doesn't. Uh, you know, get you out of, it doesn't give you a free pass. And I think that's, the, that's the key message I wish he had said is that, you know, Hey, there's a lot of things these providers do and Oracle does and everyone in the space does, but at the end of the day, it's really your responsibility to understand these things as well. The wording of this article and how it's, it's phrased and their impliedness that, you know, other cloud providers aren't worried about these things and aren't doing these things right. And this report from KPMG just really sends the wrong message in my opinion. Yeah. Maybe, I'm, maybe I just have Oracle bias. But I feel slightly uh, hypocritical about this this whole thing because when they say our compliance, um, our certification compliance enough, or audits and certifications really enough, when it comes to somebody like AWS or Google Cloud, I think yes, they put a lot of effort into these things. They 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 audited. Lots of people go in there and and make sure that they really are compliant with these things. But on the other side of that, you know, we interview a lot of people for. Um, for technical positions, and when I see certifications on on people's resumes, I'm my my uh, my instant go to is, do they really have the experience necessary, or have they just checked a box? So maybe I give the guy a little bit of credit, um, and yes, there should be more to it than just audits and certifications. But at the same time, there's only so much we can do as customers to ensure that we can trust these people enough to work with. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to trust, and if if you can't build the trust with your vendor for the cloud, you maybe you shouldn't go to the cloud. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I think if you you also if you can't get to that level of trust with them, you should really reevaluate re- how you think about the trust of your vendor and how you assess them. But um, you know, I wish there was less articles like this and more about how to make people win in the cloud. All right, I think we beat that one to death. I but, think so. Uh, <laughs> but let's move on to the other topic that we beat to death on the show, which is open source licensing. Uh, I love <laughs> licensing again. Uh, yes. So uh, <laughs> as we mentioned on several episodes, <laughs> Mongo has released, uh, you know, changed their licensing to this server side public license, uh, which you know is their way of trying to compete with the hyperscalers and and not allow them to build products and services that compete with them and their SaaS offerings on their clouds. And so um, this has now resulted in Red Hat dropping uh, support for Mongo natively out of the Yum repos for both Red Hat 8 and Fedora. Uh, And they point out specifically back to the SSPL licensing for the reason for their change. And they feel that SSPL unfairly discriminates against a specific type of user and they don't stand for that. It took me a while to understand exactly what what the issue was with this whole thing. And I guess when GPL was first uh, envisioned, you would take libraries that somebody else had written, whether it was a you know shared C libraries or something else, and you would include parts of that code in your own code, and and that all made sense. But where but now we're bundling, you know, MongoDB as part of a service, 
because you use that for your data store. Now, now this is where they think I'm attacking us. They're saying that you cannot any longer bundle their software as part of your service. So it's, it's the difference between calling something as a library and and including something as a part of your service. It's it's kind of really weird. Like this, I swear they they're just going to shoot themselves in the foot. Um, now there's so many other document DB type options available. I, I don't see that it's working out well for Mongo at all. Yeah, this does seem as a little like measure too late of, for the play that they're trying to make. You know, everyone's just going to react by dropping their the support for that and moving on to the next provider of document DB. So, uh, one of these pull quotes here in the ZDN article, they reference Steve Ballmer and famously warning of uh, Linux GPL being a cancer that attaches itself to an intellectual property sense to everything it touches, um, which, you know, was proven wrong multiple times. But, you know, they, they call out in the article that the SSPL explicitly tries to do exactly what Ballmer warned of, um, which that's, if you're using Ballmer as your weapon against open source uh, and some change to a licensing term, that's a, that's a pretty bad statement. I mean, I definitely am curious to see how DocumentDB and Postgres JSON support and these things mature. And, you know, when we start seeing customers start dropping Mongo for these alternative solutions, that's really going to be a telling story. But, um, you know, I haven't seen a lot of blog posts about that exact topic happening yet, but I'm waiting and I'm watching for them. Amazon has announced initial additional details for Reinforce, which is their new security uh, conference that's going to be held in June uh, in Boston. They've announced there's going to be four tracks for your security people and engineers. Uh, the foundation track, which will cover your security uh, basics uh, and on the cloud. Rock the audit, which will be all about how to get through your various audit types uh, for cloud computing. So I assume they're going to have talks and tracks on HIPAA and FedRAMP and FFIC and all of the different flavors of security acronyms you can throw out there. Um, they have some security deep dive sessions, which is really around um, deep diving into specific security technologies and techniques in the cloud. And then, of course, security pioneers, which I'm not exactly sure what that track's going to be quite yet. They didn't, it's not really well described. Um, they're going to have a security jam, which, if you've never done security jam, is a fantastic event uh, to really crash course through security on Amazon. And then they also have a new event that they've never done before called Capture the Flag, which will be going on throughout the conference. Uh, the conference will be keynoted by Steve Schmidt, the CISO of Amazon Web Services. You know, we talked about these spin-out conferences that, that Amazon were doing, uh, Reinforce and the uh, Remars conference. And we mentioned that we hoped that the cost of these things would be significantly lower than reInvent to to encourage more people to go. That kind of thing. Full conference pass, $1,100. That is a lot of money for a two-day conference. It is a lot of money. Um, they also have um, workshops happening, which are additional fees. Uh, so if you want to go get your Amazon certification in one of the security principles, uh, those are available at the conference for an additional fee on top of that $1,100. So it can get pretty expensive. But they are going to have 200, 300, and 400 level breakouts. So, I, I mean, as long as those are good value and you don't mind the fact they're going to be on the internet in a week after the conference, um, you know, spend your $1,100. Yeah, I, I kind of wish they had a track for re-educating the old-fashioned security people with uh, the new cloud ways of doing things because that's that's a challenging thing right now. <laughs> well, I suspect that some of these like Rock the Audit and Security Pioneers are going to have topics sort of around that. You know, Rock the Audit to me is you know here's how you pass an audit with cloud and with Amazon Web Services, and these are the things you need to understand. I, so I'm hoping those type of messages are going to come out more organically through these talks because. I think if you if you had a talk called you know 
<laughs> learn the new way of security, drop the old school method, and no one's going to go to that talk who's old school. All the new people are going to go. Uh, I, I'm surprised there's not a DevSecOps track or a Dev or a security automation track. Um, but you know, I'm sure there's going to be those type of talks inside these tracks. Just you know, without the detail yet, it's hard to see. Yeah, I love the rock the audit. Like we'll, we'll do anything to spice this title up. <laughs> How do we make auditing less boring? Well, we'll rock it. Yeah. I'm actually sort of interested in this capture the flag event. Is it like a, you know, black hat, you know, team based thing where you're trying to, you know, break into another Amazon account or you're trying to fix an Amazon account? I'm curious to see what that's going to end up being. Uh, the description on the website is pretty light, uh, but you know they have updated it. So if you're interested in getting details, they also have a, a very long list of hotels if you want to get your hotel booked now. Um, but they have not opened registration for reinforced yet. But I'm assuming that's coming any day now i wonder if the flag is like where you bring your burner chromebook you know trying to you know to participate in you know as soon as you say it's a security event people just naturally assume they can show up with a laptop and try and hack the crap out of your uh your your event so they have to have something targeted for people to pay pay attention to otherwise yeah who knows what people are going to (laughs) do idle hands exactly (laughs) <laughs> they better be interesting sessions because there's a lot of people there who are going to cause a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went back to the website here. And so the capture the flag, this event runs over the course of the conference. It simulates real world incident response and scenarios and teams work to protect the infrastructure, which is their flag against a number of escalating events. Teams are provided with an Amazon environment that is already running and they have to design, implement detective and preventative controls that do not impede their applications availability. Yeah. So it's game day. Yeah. It's game day for, uh, for reinforce. It's a very, you know, but the fact that it's over two days, that's a pretty large game day because game day typically is, you know, four to eight hours uh, during reInvent. Um, but, you know, they also have the security jam, which is also similar to game day. So I'm curious to see what this one looks like um, and what it ends up being. Yeah. All right. Moving right along to a 2019 prediction uh, update. So. Uh, much to Jonathan's chagrin, uh, Slack has apparently rumors have been that they've filed paperwork for a private IPO. Uh, roughly, the estimates are that they're having $221 million in revenue per year with over $10 million daily users. Uh, this rumor says they're targeting a $10 billion valuation with its public debut, which will happen hopefully in the next 60 to 90 days. So, Jonathan, the window for a big acquisition is starting to close. I'm, I'm still holding out for somebody to come along. Microsoft could come along, twelve billion dollars, thirteen billion dollars, buy them out. Somebody should do it, really. It's uh, <laughs> please come on. <laughs> I mean, two hundred twenty-one million dollars in revenue. Yeah, that's that's pretty decent, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, I mean, great. Who's gonna, you know, replace that? And you don't want to replace their platform and spending the money on it. I don't know. I mean, Microsoft could put $221 million into Teams and try to get it to be more competitive. Like, that's a choice, too. Why, why pay $13 billion for it? Yeah. Well, I guess IBM bought Red Hat. Red Hat were doing almost $3 billion a year. Yeah, maybe maybe Slack's not quite there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we never know. It, it, you might, we might get surprised, and you'll be here gloating over all of us. I still got my fingers crossed. Yep. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll keep those fingers crossed. But curious to see how they uh, how their debut on the stock market uh, comes out. You know, but it's a little bit annoying because it's a private IPO paperwork, and so I can't see the you know what they filed with the SEC or any of that kind of stuff yet. So I'm hoping that'll come out soon, and we can talk about that because uh, I'm sure we'll get insights into their cloud spend and their risks and all kinds of interesting stuff in those those 10ks. Yeah, I, I'm always interested by these these services like Slack where like uh, the technology behind Slack is not complicated. The, the, they've built a business, they've advertised, they've got customers. That's that's really where the value is in that thing. The the actual tech is is really no more modern than uh, you know, 20-year-old IRC or something else. So somebody Maybe else, I, I, I mean like somebody else could easily come along and build a new Slack. Maybe maybe that's why they're not going to get picked up because somebody else could come along and build a new you know the next new messaging platform. Off the top of my head, I Microsoft Teams, WebEx Teams, Mattermost, uh, IRC, HipChat, who already died. You know, <laughs> there's been many people who have tried and many people who have failed or died on that hill. So yeah, it's the culture. You know, it's the the funness of it, I think, is what really propels Slack to be adopted as it is. Like you, you go into a company where they're not using Slack and then everyone is just dying to get their hands on it because all their friends are using it or they use it their last company. So it's, it's an interesting thing that they've built. It's not about the messaging at all, I don't think. It's definitely uh, popular in our company. It's popular in many companies. And so I expect that uh, they'll continue to do well and not get acquired. We'll see. <laughs> now we'll see. It's on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Look, Peter's not here to host the lighting round. And so Jonathan drew the short straw uh, that he's going to host. Uh, he tried to push it on to Ryan, but we, we felt that was unfair to Ryan to host the lightning round. I don't even know the rules. So I assume I'm going to win. Well, the privilege the privilege of running the lightning round is that I get to assign the winner. <laughs> right, but by, if you follow Peter's rules, you know, firsts are what win the lightning round. And technically, this is our first guest on the lightning round. Yeah. So, in theory, he should win, technically. Well, this is the victory f- of mine. Yeah, this is the first time I've hosted lightning round, though, so I, well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, That's true, because you're also your first. But you are also in the lead, so I, I might have to claim cheating if you the victory to yourself. Well, this is the first time I've cheated then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I I will commit to uh to, to assigning the winner in a in a fair and objective way. All right. They couldn't have sounded more dishonest if you tried. <laughs> I totally totally <laughs> had my fingers crossed behind my back when I said that. It's fine. <laughs> so this week in Lightning Round we have Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports T three instances. So I get to pay full CPU prices to Oracle for 20% of the CPU capacity. Sounds great. I thought we had to run Oracle on, on a whole uh, on a whole half a data center or something, but at T3, that sounds wonderful. Fantastic. You get the, the image of the Flintstones of like, you know, the little elves inside the camera or something. Yeah, this is fantastic. <laughs> uh, Azure announces GA for query store for SQL data warehouse. I, I, what's a query store? I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what this is. Like, makes no sense. <laughs> like, I, I feel like Azure has a quota every week to announce the most benign features that have the weirdest names that don't give you any clue of what they actually are, and they do it every week. And I'm just, I'm shocked every week. Do you care what query store is? I actually read this one. <laughs> sure, if you know. <laughs> Query Store is an archive of all the queries you've made to the database so that you can go back and do your analytics and figure out exactly why it performs so badly. 
Oh, that's lovely. Um, but you know, the the trick to all SQL Server problems is update stats. So we know that already. Next. Uh, so Azure now tells you when hardware is degraded with scheduled events. Well, I'm glad they decided that they wanted to tell you that they were had bad hardware. I would have hoped they would have just taken care of it because they're a cloud provider. And if it's a scheduled event, are they scheduling the degradation? Because that seems a little dishonest. Like, wait. No, they just tell you once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> On a schedule. On a schedule. Yeah. When they feel like it. Yeah. Uh, Google Cloud now supports WebSockets for App Engine flexible environment. WebSockets are still popular, right? I mean, it's been a while since I've supported them, but um, it, it seems to like all the cool kids want that. And now you can put it into your pass offering. I guess that's a win. Amazon API Gateway just started supporting WebSockets too. So I guess it's um, not surprising Google implement the same thing. It's still very prevalent in applications, right? You see it all the time, like where you're either limited or you have to enable. So it makes sense that they do this too. If there's only a company that made $221 million a year on WebSocket technology that was going to go IPO sometime in the next 60 to 90 days, who we could point to as a fantastic WebSockets use case. Azure Stream Analytics now supports Azure SQL databases as references. I would, I would hope that Stream Analytics for Azure would reference SQL databases out of the box. I'm just, <laughs> it seems like an odd choice not to support that day one. I, I had the same thought. I was caught off guard by this. I'm like, oh, okay, so something they should have done forever ago. We have a contender. <laughs> TomTom and Microsoft partner to get users bad directions. <laughs> the title is just great. <laughs> and I, I wrote the title because I didn't know how to summarize this particular topic. But uh, yeah, mainly they're uh, they're they're going all in on Azure in 2019, and I was and you know Microsoft's going to license the map technology from TomTom, and I was like, this is just bad after bad. I, I don't even know what to do for you people. Yeah, I, I can just imagine Clippy popping up in the uh, in the GPS in the car like, are you sure you wanted to turn back there? <laughs> Recalculating. <laughs> DynamoDB local adds support for Dynamo transactions, on-demand capacity, and 20 global secondary indexes. If you're a big fan of developing locally, I guess you want secondary indexes to do on-demand capacity of my laptop? I don't... This is a weird one. You know, what's weird about this is, like, the, the feature I most like about this release is not anything that's in the title. It's not about transactions or on-demand capacity or secondary indexes. What they added is is the metrics so that it will tell you exactly the number of capacity, read and write capacity units you should deploy in production. And they completely missed missed mentioning that in the um, in the release. Well, but that only is a factor for your pre-provisioning that capacity. If it's on demand, you don't care, right? Yeah, I guess so. Well, I think people want to move away from pre-provision, read and write, it's pain. And so what you call laziness, I call it global optimization. Not again. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, d I'm deducting points here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, okay. Develop and test step functions locally. Step by step. <laughs> nice. Oh, our first karaoke. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole bunch of firsts. Now, this is a this is definitely a cool thing because step functions are are one of those things where they can be longer running. They you know they there's multiple forks in the logic that you need to test out. So when you're doing Anything you can do to reduce the iteration time while you're developing on, on these types of things, we're using something like step functions is, is a very powerful advantage. I, I like it. I'm a fan. 
definitely. I still wish you could do um, like a breakpoints in the step functions and and stop and inspect things in the in the in flight and then start it up again. I'm hoping that's something they're working on, but this is this is pretty cool. It's a good. I think I think local development environments is definitely a step in the right direction. It seems like they're moving that way. It's definitely nice to have on a plane because that's that's what I would, whenever I want to develop on something that's on the cloud and you're like, oh crap, I I don't want to pay for the Wi-Fi. So now I can do it locally. I mean, that makes me happy. Most people just want to sleep on the plane, but if step functions do it for you, then <laughs> whatever. That's only true if you're flying to Britain, which I know you do often, and that's a very long flight, so you have to sleep on a plane. But otherwise, <laughs> get, to work done, get some work done in privacy. Like you can get into the developer zone on the plane, man. You just code it out. And now we're just going to this kind of weird coma state where I'm just staring into the distance and not watching the movies and not listening to anything. And yeah, maybe the copious amounts of alcohol before boarding the plane. Quite. I got two kids, man. I got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> Apogee uh, have announced, or Google have announced, some enhancements to the Apogee portal. So they uh, basically just decided they wanted to compete with uh, readme.io and build a documentation portal that you can theme. Great. It seems like it, right? Well, you know, the developer portals for these things, you know, a lot of times you're you're showcasing your API to someone who has no idea how to use it. So I, I kind of get the use on this. You know, that's where you publish your documentation. The theme's all just branding. It makes sense. <laughs> okay, and finally, Microsoft acquires DataSense management from BrightBytes. So this is, uh, I don't know how I feel about, you know, big data being used in education to track my children at school uh, as a solution. But uh, great, I guess. <laughs> it's a little weird. Well, you know, we, we threatened for years the permanent record for children, even though that thing never actually exists until high school. But now we have people like DataSense. You really can go back and see the grades your kid got in, uh, you know, first grade and second grade. It's it's it is kind of scary. Wait, what do you mean that the permanent record doesn't exist? There is no no records are passed. I have such a beef with Miss Garcia. This is not cool. Well, I, I will. I do feel bad for my kids. Then I guess when they you know don't get that job because their preschool scores were just not high enough. Yeah. Back when they were four, so that's all right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's a fantastic <laughs> lightning round. So, what uh, are we really declaring Ryan the winner? I mean, I think we sort of have to, don't we? I mean, there's a lot of first by Jonathan this time too. Hosted uh, the thing. Yeah. There's there's a lot of things. A lot of a lot of consideration. A lot of careful analytics being managed by the Oracle and Google Clouds to determine the winner of today's lightning round. Do we need like a supercomputer noise for the background? This is a it's, it's a tough decision, mostly because I've forgotten what it was that, that you said that I thought was a good contender. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you gave him credit for the global optimization, and then you took credit away for the global optimization. So yeah, yeah. sort of cut myself in the foot there. All right. Well, when you when you play it back, you can you can add in who won, and then we'll be a surprise when we listen to the podcast. Yeah. Like who won? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do like a. Uh, uh, Black Mirror, I'm going to record three endings, and you won't know which one is the real one until you listen to the podcast. <laughs> as long as I don't have to jump off a balcony in the process. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty gruesome. No, I, I think I think this week, Ryan wins. He's the, it's his first show, and the global optimization thing, very true. Very true. Yeah. One point to I, Ryan. I think, it's, I think it's fair. It is fair. It also preserves my lead in the regular uh, well, see, and I, you know, because we... We are planning to have more guests on the show in the future. So I think what we're going to do is we're just going to compile the guests into a single score. So, you know, Ryan has not contributed to the overall guest score. And if guest wins at the end of the year, then we invite all the guests back for a big party. I think that's how I have to do it. I think Ryan, I think Ryan deserves to win this time. 
I, I think I agree. I think he had some great comments. And, uh, and on Monday, uh, whichever place you would take me for lunch is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I will, I will make a note of that. Moving on to Cool Tools with Jonathan. What do you have this week? Ah, uh, yes. It is upon us so quickly yet again. <laughs> I'm doing my best not to laugh, but I can hear. <laughs> I will bring you in the the uh, the unpublished audio from the past three or four weeks. From the, from the first, the first episode one is the is the best. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about doing a little mini outtake shows between the real releases, just to uh, keep people entertained. I think maybe maybe we get more listeners that way. Maybe. <laughs> the blooper the blooper reel. Yeah. Um I actually thought about editing Peter into this podcast even though it wasn't here. You know, <laughs> I got enough clips of him that I, I could make him <laughs> I could probably make a whole show. Well we had talked about before we went on vacation that uh you know we, he and I could record and then you could just edit your audio into it later, but yeah. we we failed to do that because you didn't give us the password for Zencaster. <laughs> and so we uh we, we just kinda lost the track of it and I was like, Well let's do it tomorrow and he's like, I'm out on PTO and I'm like, Oh, well, that's unfortunate then. Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. It may be a little yeah. maybe a little weird me making all these wonderful comments. Very thoughtful <laughs> that we're not, re- very that we're not reacting to. Yeah, and yeah. you and you're like, uh, oh, okay, moving on. <laughs> I do like the idea of Peter's voice just being sort of weirdly interjected in and like nonsensical, like clearly pieced together language. Yeah, we can make that happen. Yeah, then we should do it. Then I can read about it next week. For you, the listeners of the Cloud Pod podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook downloaded with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash thecloudpod. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thecloudpod for your free audiobook. We have two cool tools for this week. Uh, The first isn't really a tool. It is the new Amazon architecture icons. First seen in uh, reInvent last year. These are now available in uh, all your favorite drawing applications like Creately, Cloudcraft, Draw.io, Lucidchart, etc. And uh, these are all, all the redesigned uh, service icons. Uh, we'll link to them in the show notes. Amazon.com slash architecture slash icons. Much better, much less orange than the previous ones. I like that they provided you uh, dark and light backgrounds for your PowerPoints. So you can now, uh, if you have a dark background PowerPoint, this now fits without having to change everything. It's a sign of the times. If you don't support dark mode, you're just yesterday's tech. So eventually, do we, you know, we have light mode, we have dark mode. Do we get gray mode at some point? If you don't want to be dark and you don't want to be light? You... No, you must be decisive at all times. Fair enough. <laughs> wow, you sounded just like Peter right there. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> Peter, is that you? I don't even know what that means. Second cool tool for this week is uh, TerraTest from Gruntwork, which is a Go library, which makes it easier to write automated tests for your infrastructure code so that you can spin up and destroy, or spin up, test, and destroy environments programmatically. And Ryan, give me a heads up about this one. Yeah, I'm super excited about this tool. I have like 9,000 things I want to integrate it with already, some of them written, some of them not written. So I haven't, I haven't played around with it firsthand. And they're very clear in the documentation that it's not exactly easy to implement, but I, the, the power of this being able, what you can test with it, I'm really super excited getting my hands on it. Yeah, I thought about uh, kind of encapsulating Terraform in Lambda and doing stuff for that to manage resources from a service that I'm building. And this, I mean, 
this basically does exactly the same thing. I like how ambitious they are. I mean, there's quite a bit of technology they're trying to cover Terraform, Packer, Docker images. Uh, if you want to, for some reason, execute commands on servers using SSH, you can do that. Uh, APIs, Kubernetes, like there's a ton of great value in this tool. And for those who are really into TDD, you know, testing your infrastructure as code um, in this manner is a fantastic option. So I, I'm super excited to see what we do with this. Okay. All right, Jonathan, that sounds great. Where do we find these cool tools? Links to the cool tools in the show notes at thecloudpod.net. All right, Ryan, well, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, where, if people wanted to follow you, uh, where would they find your information on Twitter? Well, I am I'm Ryron01 on Twitter, and that's actually pretty ubiquitous across most social media platforms. And uh, you shouldn't follow me. I'm amazingly dull and don't don't leave my house. That's a that's a glowing recommendation uh, for following <laughs> you on Twitter, which I have just done based on that fantastic recommendation. <laughs> His latest tweet was, "Hey, do you want to come watch paint dry with me?" <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for joining us and, and filling in for Peter. And uh, we will definitely have you back on in the future. And hopefully next time we get you here with Peter, too, because then you can you can uh, talk about Peter's Wikipedia page, which I am still the editor-in-chief of. Oh, this is fantastic. I will, uh, I will make some edits. You should, yes. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting and Audible.com. Subscribe today on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the cloud pod.